Well, here we are. Good morning, Four Oaks Community Church. It's Pastor Paul here on a on a chipper, chilly Wednesday morning, February. I think it's the seventh. Yes, February seventh. Now I want to begin this devotional time with a full on, full frontal pastoral confession. So last Friday, when I told you I would see you Monday, of course that was a blatant lie. It was a. It was a. It was not a sin of, it was not a high-handed sin. I wasn't attempting to lie to you, but uh, forgotten that I was going to be out of town or just anticipated being able to pull some stuff together before I left town. It was not anyway. Could not be there Monday and Tuesday, but we are now back uh, trekking through the gospel of Matthew. And of course, our goal here is not just to disperse or dispense theological information like one of those little... um, candy gum bracelet machines that used to be in the grocery store. You put your quarter in, you turn it, out comes a little toy. No, we want to to teach you, to teach all of us how how to do this for ourselves. And so I track, I, we, we walk through the passage that we're going to be preaching on for that upcoming Sunday uh, with the hopes of giving you some tools to um, interpret the Bible and, and be a student of the word yourself, a self-feeder. So Saying all that, um, we have a massive task, and I'm already debating in my head the way, not just the way we're going to approach this today, but the way we're going to approach it this coming Sunday, because the assigned text, and you can turn there, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, and maybe, just possibly, maybe, uh, there is not as debated a text in all of Scripture, certainly in the New Testament, than this text. And um, at several points, there's, there's three or four issues here that just, wow, going to take some time. So it's an aggressive task here. And so I don't think we're going to get through all of this this week. And just to give you a sneak preview, I don't think I'm going to be able to get all of these verses in this Sunday, which presents other problems which are, which are not of your concern right now. But we'll see how we do. All right. So let me read the passage and begin to frame it out so that we can look at it together. Okay, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Some in Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. As you can see, we got um, a lot to do here. So first things first, I always tell you to, to try to situate the passage into what comes before and what comes after. So as we've seen, um, building up to this point, Jesus has finished his second year of ministry in Galilee, the northern reaches of the land of Israel. He's ventured into Gentile territory, and now he is beginning the long, slow, six-month or so trek to Jerusalem, where we know 
he will be crucified. And so that, that's, that's what's coming, that's what's before me. Now, what's after this passage, okay, is that it says Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. So you can see he's already starting to prepare um, his disciples for what is to come. Now, verses 13 through 20 aren't just a bridge, okay? Um, not only do they, they fall, fall sort of in the midway point of the book in terms of the action, the content, but they, they, they form more like a pinnacle, a summit. And everything has sort of been building to this point, to this confession, who do the disciples say that Jesus is? And we can just say right off the bat, um, there is no more important question than anyone who's ever lived on planet Earth could, could give than, than their answer to this question, right? Who is Jesus exactly? And so that's the, that's, that's, the, that's the penetrating question here. And we are looking to the response of the disciples to see what they say, right? So, so that, that kind of frames the passage. And so what's going to happen here is, is Jesus asked them, who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? And then based upon this conclusion, what can, based upon this, this confession of Simon Peter's, what can we deduce from that? What, what does that mean for the church? What does that mean for the gospel? What does that mean for the kingdom? That's kind of the flow of the passage. So one of the things that I, that I say here oftentimes is it, it, it's best to start with a list of questions that we have about the text that we're going to want to understand um, as we delve into things. And, and the first question is, what is this Caesarea Philippi? Um, we know there's a Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean. Um, is this the same city? Is, is there any significance by, by virtue of the fact that Caesarea Philippi is, um, is mentioned here? So that, that's one question. Another question is, um, and Jesus again refers back to his common self-designation, son of man. Um, who do people say the son of man is? And here they give four responses that people have been giving. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now, I'm going to uh, propose, most likely, they weren't just making those up. In other words, um, these are the people of Israel are giving these answers for a reason, right? There, there, there's a reason that they might think Jesus is any one of these people, and we want to find out the significance of that, okay? That's number two. Number three, when it comes to you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, there is a lot tied up into that title, right? We have Christ, which we know means anointed or blessed, chosen. And then we have the son of the, of the living God, okay? So, so this is not just a Messiah confession. This is you are a son of God profession. You are God himself. You are deity. And so, so we want to learn a little bit more about those titles, Christ, son of the living God. And then, not finally, but for, for this go around, well, let's just go through the whole passage. It'll be okay. In verse 17, um, Jesus says, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
So that's another mouthful, right? That, that sounds an awful lot like sovereign grace, sovereign election. Um, I did not choose, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And so we want to understand that. Now we're just beginning because in verse 18, um, here we have a name change, right? Um, he's Simon, now he's Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. What does that mean? Okay. Is, is God saying he'll, he will, Jesus saying he will build the church on the rock of Peter? Is he going to build it on Peter's confession? Is he, what is the relationship of Peter, rock, and build my church? Okay. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's another whole sermon in itself, right? Um, is that, is the kingdom on offense or is it on defense? And then finally, um, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. That's, that's another powerful statement because it gets to the authority of the church and the apostles and all of, all of those sorts of things. So with that said, let me address the first, um, first couple of questions. Caesarea Philippi was in the northern part of Israel, sort of on the border. It wasn't Gentile territory, although a lot of Gentiles lived there. It was a part of Israel proper, probably in the territory of Dan in the north. And the, the name, the city had a previous name, but Philip the Tetrarch, who was a friendly king ruler to the Jewish people, renamed the city in honor of Caesar Caesarea. But to distinguish that Caesarea from the Caesarea on the coast, it was lengthened to Caesarea Philippi. So for some reason, Jesus has um, chosen this little out of the way place to have this dramatic uh, reveal of, of who he is. And so we wanna, uh, we wanna know why. Okay, but that, that's the first thing we can say. The second thing we can say right off the top is that it was for no reason, it wasn't for any reason that, that people gave these responses about who Jesus was. When we say that some say John the Baptist, that could either mean we think John the Baptist is raised from the dead, that's like what Herod thought, okay, um, when he heard about the, the, the miracles of Jesus, or, and I think this is, might be more likely, is that John's fame had spread throughout um, the land of Palestine and, and Israel. And as such, in those days, no social media, no Instagram, no, no Be Reels, none of that sort of stuff. Um, everything was word of mouth. And so not everyone had physically seen John. They had just heard about John. And so when they heard that a prophet was doing great things, many of them assumed, oh, that's John the Baptist, okay? Others, though, delved a little deeper into Old Testament history and said, well, maybe he's Elijah. Now, where does Elijah come from? Well, there's a prophecy at the end of, of I have to go back and look because I haven't studied this yet, Malachi, um, to the Micah or Malachi. Anyway, that might be Micah, that predicts um, that when the coming of the kingdom comes, Elijah returns to proclaim good news to the people. And so some saw this as a fulfillment right, of that prophecy that Elijah was here preparing the way for the Messiah. Others say Jeremiah. Now, what's interesting about Jeremiah um, is that there was a lot of tradition, apocryphal literature, meaning those writings between the Old and New Testament, uh, which are not part of our canon, which are not 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, but which are nonetheless history. There were, again, prophecies there that Jeremiah was going to come at the end of the age, the weeping prophet, but this time in, in joyful celebration as the Messiah inaugurates his kingdom, okay? And then others were just not even clear. They were just like, he's kind of doing prophet things, so we just think he's a prophet, okay? This is, this, is the, 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 this, is, this is the lay of the land. Now, I would venture to say, if you go ask people, who do you say Jesus is? I just mean person on the street. I don't think you're going to get necessarily hostility. I don't think you would necessarily get um, defiance. In fact, I wonder if you would get a general sort of feedback about Jesus that, oh, he was a good dude. He did lots of great things. He was a good teacher. He was a great moral example. He spoke truth to power. He um, helped the poor. He had compassion on the have-nots. You know, I think, I think in, in a lot of ways, Jesus still has that sort of generic reputation. Now, if you ask people about the church, you'll get a whole different matter. They try to separate those things, Jesus and the church, and we're going to see uh, that we can't do that. But but, but I think that's the kind of response that you would get. And I think that's the kind of response that people were giving at the time. However, what Matthew is at great pains to show us is that that's not an option for us. Um, as as C.S. Lewis would say, he's either Lord or lunatic or liar. You can't, but you can't say that he's just a good man because this good man, while doing good things, also made many declarations about who he was and about his authority to forgive sins and the fact that he comes from the Father and no one takes his life from him and that he is in fact the son of the living God as, as Peter testifies here. And so we have to really grapple with this question for ourselves, absolutely. But I think it's a great apologetic tool. You know, a lot of times we, we begin with our evangelistic conversations with God loves you and offers you a wonderful plan for your life. And I think a much better way is to say, hey, I know that you're not in church. Uh, hey, I, I know that you've sort of walked away from the faith, or I know maybe you've never been interested in spiritual things. Well, tell me, I'd be interested to kind of know, like your opinion, like who, who what do you think about Jesus? You think he was, he was real, historical? What did he do? Why was it significant? How, how do you think about the impact that his life and ministry has on us now 2,000 years later? What a great question, right? And I think that's one that draws people out, helps them think about things, and ultimately gives us the opportunity to point where Jesus points here. Yes, he might be a prophet. Yes, he might be a teacher. Yes, all might be a doer of good deeds, but he's infinitely more than that. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that's where we're going to pick it up tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, give us sensitive ears and, and eyes to, to perceive to the heart of matters. There is no more important question before us, before our world, before our culture, before us in our own personal lives than who you are, who, you, who we say you are. And again, that's going to, to determine a trajectory for our lives. It's going to make a claim on everything. So Lord, now we ask that you would 
continue to press and press your word upon our hearts this week as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Great to be back. See you tomorrow.